a timeline of inspiration. And for a greater portion of this timeline, you know, time is, a, we, we refer to it sometimes as a gift from God. Uh, I want to reflect back in the past time. I was doing that in some of, just in my little preamble here, uh, talking about some things of my experience in the past. But I want to go way back. Where did time begin? And uh, I want to take you to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So we're going to build a timeline this morning, and my focus is uh, we want to gain inspiration from what has happened in the past so that it can make us more trusting of God. And uh, God didn't preserve this history in the past simply for history's sake, but I believe there's a purpose and a reason that it's preserved. Genesis 1-1 is what we know as the beginning of time. Uh, the very beginning of time. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And that was approximately about 4,000 B.C. And uh, that's the time segment we want to look at this morning. Beginning 4,000 B.C. And that's a long time ago. Uh, and that time period in our timeline here would go to about 1921 B.C. Just a little over 2,000 years. In the beginning of time. So I thought about in the beginning... You know, this verse here in the scripture is so foundational to us in understanding uh, our time frame, our accountability to God. In the beginning, God created. Uh, I have a beginning. Each one of us here has had a beginning. And as I thought about that, you know, everything that I see has had a beginning here. I look outside. The whole earth has had a beginning. God created it. It, it didn't used to be. Uh, it was without form and void, and God created it as we see it here today. This church, this local body of believers, had a beginning. Actually, June 20th, 1974, is the first minutes I have recorded of organized church minutes I have. Uh, that's 39 years ago. Uh, Donald and Esther Geigley would have been here, I think, a year, a little better than a year before that. And uh, I'm not sure, Don, did you move after school in 74, like May? May? Okay, 74. So it was the following month that those minutes were recorded. God here in our, in our text verse here, in the beginning God created. God is the only one who hasn't had a beginning. He was from eternity past to eternity future. And uh, it clearly gives us a perspective of accountability to him. We have to answer uh, to him. We are finite. If we note the phrase God created, it clearly tells us who and where, all that we have and all that we see, where it came from. We are his this morning by right of creation. You are his this morning by right of creation. And as we go through our timeline, we are then also his by right of redemption later on. But that's later. But we are his this morning by right of creation. If I build something, it belongs to me as the creator. But all of the, all of the things that I have this morning are, are really uh, gifts from God. I'm only a steward of the talents and abilities that, that God has entrusted to me. If I can build fine furniture, if I can be a, uh, a successful farmer, if I can be a successful teacher, if I can be a successful whatever... 
I'm only a steward of the mental facilities that God has created me with. The days that God has entrusted to me, my small time frame, your time frame, however long that would be, however many years long that would be, you're a steward of that period of time. Are you using that period of time for the glory of God? The days, the times, the seasons, the weather, it's all created by God. God is in control and it belongs to Him. I had to think about the promise that we have there in Genesis 8, verse 22. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. That's a promise of God. He's in control. While we may question sometimes uh, our things, is there global warming? Warming? Are things getting out of balance? I don't have the scientific data to, to, to lend an argument one way or the other. But we do have that promise that the Lord said, While the earth remaineth, seed time, harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God is the creator of those, this universe, this world. In faith we want to trust him. Our timeline, approximately 2,083 years from Adam to Abraham. Uh, the flood took place uh, with Noah in that time segment of time frame there. It says in Genesis chapter 6 that uh, God's testimony of Noah, it says Noah, verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, a perfect in his generation, and Noah walked with God. Now that's a testimony that I think we ought to covet after today. Uh, may we truly find grace in the eyes of the Lord. May God's testimony be of us that we are just and perfect in our generation and that we walk with God. But you know, the weather patterns got out of sync back there too. God purposely had a design and he flooded the earth because of the wickedness of man. And... Uh, and then God gave us the covenant of the promise of the rainbow there in chapter 9. I referred to the promise there of the seed time and harvest. And then in chapter 9, he, he gave that covenant there to mankind. And God said, verse 12 of chapter 9, Genesis, God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you, every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. God, that covenant is still standing today. God is faithful to his covenant. And uh, just the other evening there was a rainbow in the clouds. I don't know if you noticed it or not. But uh, a reminder from God of his faithfulness. Again, that's my purpose of this message this morning, is that our faith and trust in God would be, be strengthened as we look at this uh, timeline of inspiration. God is definitely in control. Genesis chapter 12, we find the, the call of Abraham. I'm going to be paging through the scripture here. 
Uh, picking out a few accounts here. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, time continued on. Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. Curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him, and Abraham was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. God's call to mankind, God's specific call to each one of us. Uh, we can be blessed as we look at the faithfulness of Abraham as he answered the call of God, leaving as it was a, a, uh, a place that was secure, yet God had a plan and a purpose for Abraham. God has plans and purpose for each one of our lives here this morning. And we will, we will be blessed if we answer that call of God as Abraham did. It may, it may not be to leave our country. It may not be to leave our church. It could be. I don't know. But when we hear the call of God, we will be blessed if we answer that call as Abraham was blessed. And God had a distinct plan and purpose. He wanted to bless him and lead him and, and needed a, a generation to bring forth his uh, uh, patriarchs to lead uh, the children of Israel. And God used Abraham. There's Joseph would be also in this uh, time segment that we're looking at. And as I thought about the, uh, you know, the experiences of Joseph, you know, Joseph's life was not a, a life that everything went, well, we might say hunky-dory. You know, he had the trouble with his siblings, uh, you know, misunderstood uh, and treated badly and, uh, you know, then taken down into Egypt and there again, uh, you know, got a bad deal and uh, again was abused and, uh, you know, things just weren't going the way they should have been going for a, a person that was as, as uh, faithful as Joseph, right? In our, in our human logic, we'd say that, but they did. And they'll go that way for us sometimes, too. But we can be blessed as we look at the experiences of Joseph and realize that we may not fully understand all of the purposes that God desires to implement and work out in our lives and our experiences. Whether it's a wet spring or whether it's a storm or whether it's a fire or whether it's a sickness or an illness, we, we don't maybe understand all of that. Does that matter? We need to pray for God for grace to understand. Uh, maybe not to, I was going to say to understand, but maybe for grace to have uh, trusting him through those experiences, even if we don't understand. Because we don't have to understand. That's not the important factor. The important factor is that we're trusting him. And I believe God is glorified. I believe God is blessed as, as we look at the experiences of Joseph and see the way that you know, it just seemed like as he, you know, one thing went wrong and the next thing went wrong and the next thing went wrong. And yet, yet Joseph was, was faithful and God used him in, in each little incident in a, in a powerful way. And uh, ultimately, it, it, you know, it was a blessing to the children of Israel. And uh, we see that when he, uh, in his testimony to his brethren, he said, you know, use men to evil, but God meant it for good. God had a plan. God had a purpose. And we may not understand that. So that's our first segment of, uh, of time frame and our timeline in the beginning. And we look at the experiences of God's call upon man. Uh, God and Joseph as an example. 
you know, facing undesirable things, but yet being faithful through those experiences. The second period that I like to uh, mark on our timeline is the idea of the period of the patriarchs, and that would go from uh, 1920 B.C. through 1451. And that would bring us into the, uh, from Abraham through Moses and Joshua. I, mean, I included Joshua in that too. Uh, you know, the miracle of Moses' life being preserved in the land of Egypt where the wicked her- uh, Pharaoh had decreed that all the baby boys of the Israelites should be killed. And, uh, you know, the fact that, again, there is something that, that a God, you know, we look at that, and we're looking at the types and shadows Wednesday evening, and I don't know if you noticed that or not, but it talked about, maybe we didn't get to that, but it talked about, we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant, but, you know, it talks about Moses' basket there, it uses that, that word as an ark, and uh, the safety that it provided for Moses, and uh, God miraculously provided that safety net around the life of Moses because he had a plan, he had a purpose, and... Uh, that's in the book of Exodus, chapter uh, uh, 2, familiar account. <clears throat> there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when he, she could no longer hide him, she took him... She took for him an ark of bulrushes and dabbed it with slime and, and with pitch and put the child therein. She laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the river's side. When she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. When she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the babe, was, babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew woman, that she may nurse the child for thee? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the mate went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew. She brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Again, we read that and it's so commonplace, but you know, to realize the heart of that mom laying that baby and not knowing the outcome, that's trust, that's faith. And then to put the sister in, ch- in charge to watch and then to see Pharaoh's daughter coming, you know, the, 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 the overwhelming, maybe despair, what's going to happen to my brother? Uh, I'm not sure offhand exactly how much older Miriam was than Moses here, but... Uh, she, uh, God used her in a powerful way, and she, you know, where did she get the idea to come up to Pharaoh's daughter and say, shall I find somebody to take care of this baby for you? And then take, go back and get her own mom, and, and you know, God provided. Uh, you know, it, it's nothing but the, the power of God working in the lives of men that will trust him. And that's where we need to be today. We need to be in a place that God can lead us and use us in spite of all of the circumstances and all the odds that are piled against us so that he can be glorified through that. Well, this is Moses, and he was the deliverer of, uh, of uh, the children of Israel out of uh, Egypt, and Exodus is a, the book of Exodus is an account of that, largely. Book of Escape, God delivering his people out of Egypt. Egypt was a, a safety for them in the time of uh, Joseph and Jacob in the, when there was a famine. But 
it became a snare to them. It became God wanted to lead them out of that <clears throat> book of, uh, actually, the, uh, one of the key verses in Exodus is chapter 12, verse 23. I want to just read that verse. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts. The Lord will pass over the door. And will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. Again, that safety net of the blood applied to the doorposts. And uh, those that were faithful in doing that, uh, the death angel passed over. The book of Leviticus is a book of worship. Again, this, this book takes place in this time frame here. And uh, a key verse in the book of Leviticus uh, the book of Leviticus has to do with the worship of God's people. God was concerned about their worship of him. And Leviticus 19, verse 2. Uh, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. God is concerned about their worship. God was concerned as they approached him. And that's what we're talking about Wednesday evening. Uh, God had provided a way that they could come before him. And it, it was not to be taken lightly. It's one of the things we talked about Wednesday evening. It was not to be casual. It was not to be careless. They had to follow the prescribed procedure that God had established. And uh, that's what God is clearly, in the book of Leviticus, is clearly coming through and telling his people. Speak unto the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And the book of Leviticus gives all the laws that they had to abide by. The book of Numbers talks about the pilgrimage of the children of Israel. And uh, one verse, key verse in the book of Numbers is 33, verse 1. <clears throat> These are the journeys of the children of Israel which went forth out of the land of Egypt with their armies under the hand of Moses and with Aaron. And that's what the book of Numbers is about. It's a pilgrimage. It's a story about their leaving Egypt and coming to the promised land. Uh, it's a book about unbelief. It's a book about misery. It's stories of wanderings in the wilderness because of unbelief and the despair and the discouragement that they faced because of a lack of trusting God. Are we on a pilgrimage here this morning? We certainly are. But I trust that we're not in the wilderness. Uh, we may refer to the world as a wilderness, but... Uh, as we are journeying to, we refer to heaven as the land of Canaan. Uh, we have not arrived yet, but are we faithfully following him who is leading us there? Do we have the faith? Do we have the concept of faith? Do, they have, do we have the holiness of God to see us through uh, the trials and tests that we face? The book of Deuteronomy is the book of the law. And uh, chapter 12, verse 1, is a key verse in the book of Deuteronomy. <clears throat> These are the statues and the judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land, which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it in all the days that ye live upon the earth. Key word is the idea of obedience to the laws. And the book of Joshua is the idea of conquest. And uh, Joshua, a faithful leader after Moses, God used him in a powerful way to lead them into the promised land, uh, overcoming and Canaan as a land of rest. In Hebrews, we see the different types of rest. Hebrews chapter 11, I believe it is, or 
not 11, 13 maybe. I should just turn to that. Hebrews 13, I think it is, where it talks about the different types of rests. It's not 13 either. Chapter 4. Talks about the creation rest in verse 4 in Hebrews chapter 4. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day. And that's what we're observing here today. It's the first day of the week, but yet it's a day of rest for us. It's a day of worship. And, uh, you know, you think of the blessing of that. It's, it's certainly a blessing to be able to lay down the toils of life, to uh, focus on things that are spiritual. Focus on things that are eternal in value. And uh, we continue with that creation rest. And then uh, verse 6, it's talking about the Canaan rest that the children of Israel, uh, seeing therefore every man that some must enter therein, they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Talk about the experiences of the children of Israel. They didn't, some, those that had the experience of unbelief did not enter into the land of Canaan. But you and I can ex enter into that rest. Uh, of Canaan if we continue on in faith. And uh, then it talks about verse 9. It says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. I believe that's a conversion rest that you and I can experience today in our personal lives. Uh, a rest that takes place uh, in our spiritual being. Peace with God. And then there's the, uh, in verse 11 it says, There's a, another rest mentioned there. And that's what I would call the consummation rest. Let us labor there to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And that's the rest that you and I will have at the end of life. Uh, you ever notice, you wonder why they say entered into rest? That's simply what it is. We're done with our toil here in life. Uh, no more sermons, no more work, no more whatever. Uh, fully consummation, we're gone. We've entered into that, that rest. Well, we have on our timeline the beginning. And again, that's foundational. We need to understand that God created. We're his creatures. We have the period of the patriarchs. And we see how God worked through the lives of the patriarchs. We come thirdly to the period of the judges, which would be from approximately 1451 B.C. through uh, 1095 B.C., approximately about 356 years. And that's a sad commentary of man... Uh, in times of peace and rest. You know, if you read through the book of Judges, and I, I not too recently, in the, I mean, not real long ago, I just talked about the experiences of Gideon. And that was one of the judges, just one of the judges of Israel. But you know, it's, it's that book, that entire book is, is, a, is an account of, you know, it's, it's an up and down, up and down. They, they served the Lord, and God provided the deliverer, and then they forgot God. And, you know, it's... it's it's a sad commentary of man that in times of peace and rest and prosperity, we are prone that way today to forget God. Are we any different today? Do we forget God? You know, I have to think about that in relation to our spring, our spring this year. Uh, one farmer, really, this is second-handed. My son was telling me this. One farmer said that, I mean, told him, he said, you know, he said, I think this is a good reminder. He said, I've sat through a lot of meetings with farmers. They've got their, their heads in the clouds, and it's almost like they control them. And, uh, you know, it's, he said, it's a good reminder how small we really are and how powerful God is. And, 
you know, while we would not choose to, you know, it's like we talked in the uh, Sunday school lesson too. We, we wouldn't choose, you know, this type of weather, probably. But it's out of our control. And God, we need to work with what God gives us. We need to trust him in faith. Are we any different today? The book of Ruth, I'd, I'd include in that same period of time. Uh, it's a book of restoration. And uh, one of the key phrases, one of the key verses or thoughts in the book of the Ruth, in the book of Ruth is in chapter 4, verse 14. And it talks about the idea of a kinsman. And uh, it's a book of restoration, God uh, providing uh, for Ruth and her family. And actually, Ruth then goes on to become the great-grandmother of David, King David, uh, who we all know so well as a faithful patriarch of uh, King of, of Israel. The idea of a kinsman has the idea of a redeemer. And God is weaving that into the tapestry of the timeline that we're looking at, that there's going to be a redeemer provided for mankind. And uh, again, it's an experience of, of people forgetting God, maybe a lack of trusting God. Why were they away from Israel? But yet God continually, faithfully brings back and provides a way for us to be brought back. God continually uh, desires to bring us back. You know, that's one, of, that's one example, I think, of uh, as we look through, as we walk through the pages or as we walk through the timeline of, of the Scripture and time, numerous and over and over again, you know, we see people being brought in uh, that maybe didn't have the right blood, didn't have the right last name, didn't have the right upbringing, but yet God used them because they were willing to be used of God. And... Uh, so we have the book of Judges, which is a, uh, a theocracy. Uh, again, it's an experience of children of Israel forgetting God and God, again, bringing them faithfully back. We come to the uh, fourth period, and that's the period of the kingdoms and the prophets. And that's 1095 B.C. through 400 B.C. And uh, God here is giving in to the desires of his people in providing for them an earthly king. I don't think it was ultimately God's desire for them to have an earthly king, but yet they came to him and they desired a king, and God gave in to those, uh, those kings. And God then consequently used the prophets to speak to the people and to bring his message to the people. While the king may have been a, uh, uh, a monarch that ruled the people, yet God, through that, as they went away from him, God would use the prophets to bring them back. And that would include 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Uh, but it's clear, in spite of Israel having an earthly king, it's clear that, uh, that God was still overruling and setting up and putting down uh, whoever he chose to put in power. And uh, I was reminded that it's still the same today. We have governments, we have elections, but yet God is in control of those uh, thrones. Um, and uh, do we recognize that today, that God is still in, in control? And uh, he places, even though, again, we look at the, the slide away from God, 
in, in the moral decay that's taking place in the country that we live. Uh, why God permits that? You know, God has a plan. God has a purpose. And we don't, uh, we don't understand the total picture. But we know that evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. And uh, we clearly are living, I believe, in the end times. Job is in this category of the kingdoms, probably not uh, in the canon of the scripture. He's listed there. But probably time frame, he'd actually be more back in the time of the patriarchs in his experience. It's unclear for sure who, uh, who actually wrote Job, perhaps. There's a, not necessarily agreed who actually penned the words of uh, the book of Job. But uh, I included him here because that's where he falls in the canon of the scripture. And another aspect that I included in here is the fact that it gives us a glimpse of, of uh, the two kingdoms. We see clearly the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan in the book of Job. We were talking about him this morning. The central class over here quoted that verse from Job. We see that... So while we're looking at the kingdoms and the prophets and the experiences of the children of Israel, it's more about that. And our kingdom here today is more about the United States of America or about any other earthly kingdom that we might see. It's about two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. You and I are, as we follow and answer the call of God, we then are, are servants of the kingdom of God. And that's really what we need to answer to. Again, we don't need to see nor understand the whole picture because that's God's job. God does that, and he does it well. Well, 400 B.C. brings us to the period of the time between the two, the two Testaments, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, again, we could have spent a lot more time perhaps walking through this timeline, but I'm just touching on some things briefly. Uh, hoping you'll get a few inspirations that will develop your trust and faith in God. The period between the Testaments is a period we really don't have a lot recorded. There's some ancient history recorded, 400 B.C. to 4 B.C., which would be the birth of Christ. There was four basic uh, kingdoms, empires that were established at their times in that period of time. There was the Babylonian, there was the Persian, there was the Greek Empire, and there was the Roman Empire. And that's what was ruling when our Lord was born. Again, we see the overruling hand of God in uh in allowing those empires to be established. And God brought his son. It tells us in the scripture. In the fullness of time. God had it all planned out. And he allowed those empires to be uh, in place. At a specific time. So the, the period 400 BC to 4 BC. Is, is largely a silent period. As it relates to hearing directly from God. A time of waiting. But the thing that inspired me. That in spite of that 400 uh, almost 400 years time, there were some that were still faithfully serving the Lord. Uh, when the birth of Jesus uh, was accomplished, you know, when they brought him, his parents brought him into the temple, you know, there were those that were ready for that and they were anticipating that. They were waiting for that. And as I ask myself, how would I, in that period of time frame, we may, uh, we may look at our experiences today and talk and think about the return of the Lord uh, am I just as faithful? How long has it been while we are not receiving any more revelation than what we have here? We believe the Bible is, is complete. But you know, am I just as, do I have the anticipation that Anna had? 
uh, and Simeon uh, as they saw the fulfillment of that promised Messiah, that Redeemer that we saw foretold about in the Old Testament. Am I with anticipation looking and longing for that rest that we have promised to us, those that serve the Lord? Well, the sixth period that I, I want to draw on my timeline is from 4 B.C., the birth of Christ, to approximately 96 A.D. Jesus, I said, was born around 4 B.C. And he clearly established, he had a mission to establish a spiritual kingdom. And the New Testament talks about, is largely uh, uh, an account of his earthly ministry, and then also of him uh, giving us, well, the book of James, how to listen, how to talk. How to serve one another. Uh, that's what the New Testament is about. New kingdom principles. New kingdom laws. And uh, it's a spiritual kingdom. Uh, John 3 verses 3 to 5. Talks about the way to get into that kingdom. Is being born again. Nicodemus came to Jesus and said. How do I become a Christian? Uh, Dwight was talking about that. You need to be born again. Luke 17 verses 20 and 21. Says the kingdom of God is not here or there. But it's within us. You and I this morning, as children of God, are, are, are that kingdom. It's within us. We talk, you know, the, the Holy Spirit living within us. We are God's. Do I clearly have a, de, a defining mark of being a child of God this morning? Of being a part of his kingdom? Uh, again, it's, 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 it's by allowing God's spirit to indwell me, and then bear the fruit of the Spirit. To me, that's the defining mark of being a child of God. He established his church. Jesus' earthly ministry only lasted 30 years. And uh, he established his church using his disciples and other faithful servants. Uh, the Gentiles were brought in to the fold. And... Uh, all of us here this morning are of the Gentile. And uh, that brings me to the uh, seventh point on our timeline, the period of the early church, and that goes from 96 to 1632. In 96 AD is approximately when John the Apostle died, and he had penned the book of Revelation. That was the last book of the Bible that we have in, in the canon of the Scripture or chronological order here. And uh, so he's the last apostle and he dies. And the book of Revelation is included in the canon of scripture. I was impressed by this date. And I don't know about the accuracy of it. I, I'm, I'm assuming it's accurate. But about by 150 AD, infant baptism was already being advocated. Now if you would have asked me before I read that, I would have said it was probably a lot further down the road. But only at 150 A.D., so not real far down from when uh, the uh, Apostolic Church was founded, that infant baptism begins to be advocated. We have 312 A.D., which uh, is the time period of Constantine, who promoted and legalized Christianity, and and in all uh, efforts tried to make it a a, uh, a state-run religion. Didn't work. 366 A.D., we have the first pope being elected. 1525, we 
A.D. We have the Anabaptist movement started, 1536. Again, these are dates that you may know. You may make a mental note of it. 1536, we have Menno Simons renouncing Catholicism, joining the Anabaptist movement from which our, our statement of, or our beliefs and practices, our church, as we may call it, is named after. And I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> you know, uh, I was trying to think what we were talking about the other day, that the name Mennonite has gotten so, so, so wide. It's not coming back to me. But uh, again, uh, while we appreciate you know, the, what the Mennonites stood for in the past and even what our church stands for today, it's, uh, oh, I know what we're talking about. We're talking about Anabaptists who are saying maybe, Anna, I was wondering, I said it seems to be there's a, a renewal of, of the of attachment to the Anabaptist name. And I was saying, I, w- I wonder why that is. And I said, well, maybe it's the fact that the Mennonite name has gotten so broad. I don't know. <laughs> But fifteen thirty five we uh, and through fifteen forty five we have the Catholics and the Lutherans seeking to stamp out the Anabaptist movement, and uh, there was approximately this number again I, about ten million died in Europe through that endeavor. Well, we come to the uh, the eighth point of my timeline, and that's the modern church period. 1639, we have the American Baptists. 1650, we have the Quakers. 1693, we have the division between the Amish and the Mennonites, and that actually would have taken place, I believe, in Europe. Uh, 1870, we have the Old Order Mennonite Church uh, division off of the mainline Mennonite Church. Again, more currently, 1927, we have the Beachy Amish Church 1956, we have the Conservative Mennonite Fellowship away from the, uh, the uh, Conservative Conference churches. And in 1977, we have the Midwest Mennonite Fellowship, which we, our congregation, is a part of. Well, what is all, what all, what is all this time frame and timeline all about? Well, it's an inspiration to realize that, and again, I want to just cap a couple of things here. First of all, God is still on the throne. And he's using faithful Christians that are willing to be used of him uh, to make their mark on that timeline. And I guess that's what I want to impress with you this morning is, as you have that opportunity this morning, uh, I don't know how many years it is, I don't know how many years I'll have, but, you know, am I leaving, am I faithful in that a lot of time? God is on the throne, and he's using, he wants to use men and women and children that will be faithful to him. Uh, the second thing I think we need to, that I want to cap is that God's people... I believe we need to be reminded that we still are strangers and pilgrims. That's a concept that we need to maintain today. And it's, it's probably a concept that we probably struggle with more than, well, I don't know. I shouldn't say, I didn't live back then, so how do I know? <laughs> I was going to say more than those in the past. But, you know, as we, as we become prosperous, as we become uh, affluent, you know, those things militate against the pilgrim and stranger concept if we're not careful. Third, while we may face hardships, disappointments, sicknesses, etc., remember that God sees the total picture. We don't. God has a plan. God has a purpose. Let's trust him. Again, just a reminder, God can use... 
God is not willing that any should perish. And it doesn't matter uh, what your last name is. It doesn't matter if you don't have the... If you have the blood flowing through your, wa- your veins of a human being, you're, uh, you're going to be used of God. And, uh, you know, as God brought the Gentiles in, as God used uh, Ruth, as God used Rahab in the Old Testament and uh, numerous Gentiles in the New Testament, God can use anyone who is willing to commit themselves in faith and trust to make a mark on that timeline as we continue on. We looked at the beginning, our accountability to God as a creator, you and I as, as a creation or part of his creation. But as that timeline extends out, sometime that, that timeline will end. I don't know when. Only God knows when that timeline will end. But as we're living and as we're making history today, are we letting that mark? Are we making a mark? And I was thinking about, you know, how, what percentage of the people really are important or, or uh, you know, you think of uh, men like uh, Felix Mons, uh, you think of uh, uh, George Bronk, uh, you know, other people that God used in a powerful way. Uh, you know, what percentage of the people actually end up being somebody profound or somebody really that, that really leave a mark? Uh, well, that's just my, that's just my uh, impression. But, you know, I think in, in the eyes of God, if you are faithful where God has called you, uh, the, you know, whether you're a child in the home, whether you're a father, whether you're a mother or a grandfather or a grandmother, you know, you've left your mark. And uh, the important thing is that we utilize the opportunities that God gives us. And uh, we may not, you know, if some of those men that were passed, probably if you'd ask them how important they were, they, they wouldn't have thought they did anything. They were just standing for the truth. And, uh, you know, I guess that's a challenge that I want to leave with you this morning. We need to be faithful with the opportunities God gives us. And it's not about being important. It's not about being, it's not about offices necessarily. If God places you in an office, sure, that's important. And do it to the best of your ability. And don't worry about the, how many, the five stars, Micah. <laughs> leave that up to the Lord. <laughs> do it to the best of your ability. And, and God will take that and, and bless it for his kingdom's sake. It's not about me, but it's about God using us. And I guess that's the underlying message that I'd like to leave with you. Is God wants to use people. He wants to use ordinary people. He wants to use men. He wants to use women. He wants to use children. And uh, the important thing, our responsibility is in faith, in trust, in obedience to him. And that's my desire this morning.